0: a reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching at the synagogue at Capernaum. While well, many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. These w- the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is the Gospel of the Lord.
2: Let's uh, pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that as we think about these words of the apostle um, to the Galatians that you would help us to understand how we might uh, inhabit this struggle between flesh and spirit in a way that brings you honor and glory. So would you, would you meet us in these texts of scripture this morning and help us to know how you might apply them uh, to the way we live life? In Jesus' name, uh, amen. Amen. So uh, I think it was just a couple of weeks ago that uh, Uma Thurman was asked to respond uh, for her response regarding the, uh, the Harvey Weinstein sort of allegations of sexual misconduct. Maybe some of you saw this. It was a little bit of a viral excitement in the social media world. Um, and, and in this interview with her, if you watched the clip or you saw the clip, she basically says this. She says, quote, I, I don't have a tidy soundbite for you because I am not a child. And I've learned that when I've spoken in anger, I usually regret the way I express myself. And so I've been waiting to feel less angry. And when I'm ready, I'll say what I have to say. Now, it's interesting, right? Because it's a way of responding to a situation of abuse or of allegations regarding abuse and injustice, abuse of power and such. But it's responding in a way that doesn't actually perpetuate and add to injustice, right? Interesting, right? Because we live in this moment uh, in our world, and we're well aware of this moment, that you know, most of us, in a moment of anger, or in a moment of frustration, when we see or we encounter something in our world that feels like it's in the realm of abuse or in the realm of injustice, we almost immediately feel this urge to sort of drive our stake in the ground and give an immediate response. And we live in a political moment, right, when, um, when, we, when a lot of people feel the urge to tweet some small response to this, that, or the other, right? It's, a, it's a Im- immediate, impulsive reactions that mark the way we tend to live life in our world. And that maps, interestingly, onto the kinds of things we saw last week in this earlier part of Galatians 5 and that Paul continues to talk about this week in in which the community that we inhabit just so often devours itself, right? It's not promoting peace. It's not promoting justice. It's devouring and just falling apart and falling apart. Now, the verses that we just read from Galatians, Paul seeks to enlarge our imagination for the way you and I will live in this world. Right? He's, he's moved through his argument in Galatians about law, about the past, about Jewish Torah. And he's talked about the beauty of the gift of who Jesus is, the gift of the Spirit. And now he's arrived at this part in the letter when he wants to paint this picture of what is it like to be a part of this community. A community that we saw last week. It's a community characterized by love. And, if, and he uses that very, you know, that very you know, challenging metaphor of slavery... To sort of say, hey, engage in a practice of mutual slavery, one to another, in love. That's the mark of the Christian community, of what life with one another should look like. We are leveraging our value and our worth toward the need and the good of our neighbor. Rather than toward ourselves. So I want to focus on three things in the text that we just read. And they are these, right? the war between the flesh and the spirit, um, the value of law and spirit, and then third, the power for life in the spirit. So think about this, the war of two worlds, the war between flesh and spirit. What is Paul talking about right Um, sometimes and it's very easy for us when we hear the language just the simple words flesh or spirit I almost immediately think well this is surely about just what I experience in my life I have an external life it happens in my body and I have an internal life that we might speak of as my spiritual life right Um, the inside or the outside and so sometimes we we'd hear these words and we almost immediately think that when Paul is, is condemning life in the flesh, then you know, the point of life must be to get to heaven. It must be to sort of get to some spiritual experience, right, that's very different from the constraints of my earthly body. And most of us have sort of gone through phases where you read the scripture and you think that's what Paul is talking about. But I don't think that's what he's talking about at all. Because as we've been reading through Galatians, what do we discover? Paul cares a lot about the way this community actually lived its life in an embodied way with one another. The provocative moment, right, has to do with things like circumcision and has to do with with particularly what that means for the way the community gathers together to eat a meal together or the way they live in a segregated way, one from another, right? Paul cares a lot about what we do with our bodies, about our flesh in that sense. So what is he getting at? I think the flesh, as Paul is using it here, has to do with bodily and earthly life that is lived apart from God in a destructive way with neighbor. So Paul seems to be thinking about the brokenness of human life and the way in which the sinfulness of human life sort of leads us to live in an embodied way in a very broken and destructive way with one another. So think back to these stories that are in in our papers and in the social media about all these emerging stories of sexual misconduct, right? Uh, We are in a few months in which these stories are just being talked about over and over again and some people are, are sort of becoming, beginning to say, you know, women in particular are saying, hey, this happened to me too. In other words, we recognize these stories of sexual misconduct as what? As misconduct. And so you can think about the famous ones, you know, there were new ones this week, right? And you can think about the private ones, the ones that haven't even been mentioned or maybe the ones that you know about that relate to your own life or your own experience in the world. These stories of men leveraging their relative power toward themselves when it comes to sexual desire and the women or the men that are around their lives. We recognize that there's something wrong about that. These are the works of the flesh that Paul is talking about. It's not abstractions. It's stuff that happens in our world that we could easily point to and say, boy, that's destructive. Boy, that's harmful. That's painful. That's abusive. Right? This is a way of working out and living with desires and other people in a way that creates and sustains inequalities and injustices and abuses. And so Paul gives us a little little list, a little laundry list here, right? He gives us these words, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, right? Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the catch-all, things like this. (laughs) Paul wants us to understand that this whole sort of list of things, these ways of being human with one another, they don't belong to the kingdom of God. They don't relate to a world of justice. They don't relate to a world of beauty and goodness and truth as God imagines it for our world. And there are many other things that Paul could have loaded into that list, but here's the problem with lists. We don't live with them well, right? We read, and we've grown, if you've grown up in the church, you know more of the history of this, but you know, we read these laundry lists of sort of, of um. of of sins right and and we we don't live with them well we almost immediately what do you want to do you begin to point the finger right you begin to say well yeah those people out there wrong and the people in here right or maybe you think about people that you know that are stuck in these spaces spaces of life right maybe even some of the things on this list you know it's the way you live with your sexuality the way you live with just desire in general the way you live with pleasure The way you live with relationships, are they characterized by anger and quarreling? The way you live with with, uh, successes or the success of another, do you envy the success of another? Have you ever envied the success of another? Have you ever compared your story in life to the story of a friend or a neighbor or a colleague or a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or just on and on and on, right? Paul is talking about ordinary things that everybody in the congregation in Galatia could sort of say, yeah, that's destructive. And not only inside of the congregation, but he's giving us a list of things that many of the people in his day outside of the church could have said, yeah, that's destructive. But we're powerless against those things. And the laws that we create very often are meant To sort of target some of those things. Because what do we want to do? We want to limit their destructive power in our lives. And in our world, we we want to limit abuse. And that's a good thing. But Christians don't always live with these laundry lists well. Because we want to label people. In other words, we want to start using these lists as just more law. But that's hardly the point that Paul is getting at here. Because Paul is describing this war of the worlds. The world that is, that is a world of brokenness and abuse and injustice and inequalities across all spectrums of life. And the contrast is this world that God is bringing through Jesus, a world of justice and goodness and truth and beauty, this world of the Spirit. Paul pulls this list together out of his culture. Most people could agree that these ways of living with sexual desire or pleasure or religion or relationships or success or alcohol were very selfish ways of living with many of these very good things that God has allowed human beings to enjoy. Paul says here, I think, for us to sort of take stock. So maybe there's a space to do that audit of our own lives and say, you know, when I look at the trajectory of my life, or I look at the work of my life or the fruit of my life, the things I actually embody in life. Where, which world do I find my feet in, right? And if, if you're honest, you're going to say, well, my f- I feel like my feet. It's in both of these worlds sometimes, right? Because that's the point. It's a war. It's a struggle. We're born into this world of brokenness and we inhabit it and we are inhabited by it and we perpetuate it. But Jesus Christ has come to bring about a deliverance for us that we would have an exodus, if you will, out of the world of brokenness and back into the world in which God is very much present to our lives. And we are liberated by the Spirit to live as what? Beloved children of God who cry out to God as our Father. The contrast here is the world of the Spirit It's a community of persons that live differently in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the point is, look, no one's going to make a law against those things, right? Because everybody that would have heard it then and every one of us that hears these words now, you think... I'd like to be a person of love. I'd like to be a person of joy. I'd like to be a person who exemplifies patience <laughs> rather than patience. And on and on and on. I want to be kind. I don't want to be unkind. So you're hearing these words, these virtues, and you're thinking, yeah, there's no law against these virtues. In fact, it would be really nice to inhabit a world in which those virtues rule the day. The flesh and the spirit are at war And our lives are lived on the front lines of that drama. And we feel it. I feel it in my own life. You feel it in your life. Some days you feel stuck. Some days I feel stuck. And I wonder, is my foot ever going to get out of this other world that feels so broken and so deadly, right? Have you ever felt that? The war is happening in our own lives, and we can feel so discouraged, so torn. But Paul's point of sharing this or talking about this in this letter is not that we would feel shame or guilt or any of those kinds of things, but rather that we would understand and remember the liberation that we have in Jesus. Now, the second thing, law and spirit. We've been seeing this contrast of, or we, the way Paul has talked about the law, right? I want to just situate this, this statement about the law and spirit in the larger story of, of what God has been doing. So, you know, the last couple of weeks... Um, Cindy Parker was here with us in the adult hour talking about um, Deuteronomy. And one of the beautiful things that she had to share about Deuteronomy, she just did a fantastic job, I thought. But one of the beautiful things that she had to share about Deuteronomy is like the law that was given in Deuteronomy happens in the aftermath of Israel's exodus out of slavery. So imagine yourself a slave and you've lived under the oppression of some regime. And you're liberated from that. You're freed from that. You move out of that. You move into this new space. And someone says, hey, start a new world. Start a new society. Start a new community. What do you know about being in community with one another? Mostly negative stuff. Mostly stories of abuse. Mostly stories of power used very poorly in the world. Mostly stories... Of power or persons of relative power sort of looking down the food chain and demanding things of you. And so the law that God gave Israel was a vision statement, Cindy said. It was essentially a statement of, of sort of what could life be like? And how will you not live and replicate over and over again the abuses of a regime that you experienced in that space of slavery? In Egypt so the law was a vision casting type document she says Paul has told us that the law in all the ways in which God's people historically riffed on its meaning and its application through their history was not the final vision of what God wanted for his people that Jesus is and in Jesus he sends not only his words that describe that world but he sends his spirit into our very lives that we might actually find the breath of God animating our lives personally and together alongside of one another so that we would actually embody the coming kingdom of God in the midst of this world. Jesus' gift of the spirit is Paul's answer to Moses' gift of the law. So I want you to think for a minute about the limitations of law. Law casts its vision largely through constraint, right? It constrains us through a sense of duty or instilling a sense of duty within us, and some of us feel that duty often in our own lives. It instills also what? A sense of guilt when you transgress the law, when you move beyond the law, right? You recognize when you've crossed the line. It also sort of manages us through what? Shame. You ever felt shame? And it manages us through fear, right? Fear of being caught or fear of being a transgressor, fear of stepping over the line. But here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit propels us not by duty, guilt, shame, and fear, but the Spirit propels us by love into the world that God is bringing into existence. The person who does that which is right out of fear, the law, is not exactly in the same situation as the one who restrains himself out of love. Can you imagine that? So imagine yourself as a married person. It's not hard for me to imagine that. But you imagine yourself as a married person, and you've heard people get married. You've heard them take vows of marriage. Mike was referencing them earlier when he was talking about the life of an elder. But think about those vows of faithfulness and fidelity that we take across different const constructs of life different contexts of life there are really two ways of inhabiting that faithfulness you can do it in a very rule-centered way or you can do it through love so you can do it through a rule set of way you think well you know a husband or a wife they shouldn't commit adultery like adultery is damaging to a marriage right and there's the rule of that, right? There's a rule around sexuality, and there's, a, there's an obligation that we commit ourselves to right? inside of the context of marriage. And if you approach it from a rules perspective, what are you doing? You're thinking, well, I'm afraid. I don't want to find myself over the line. I don't want to be guilty. I don't want to be shamed if I find myself over the line. I'm fearful of getting caught, so hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Stacy. But there's a much stronger way of inhabiting your vows as a married person. It's the way of love. It's the way of cultivating your life with your spouse so that when it comes to temptation or it comes to an opportunity to cross a line, what you're thinking is, I, I love my wife or I love my husband. So what constrains me is not the rule or the fear of crossing the line, but what actually constrains me, what, what leads me to say no, is what? it's love. My desire for my wife. Paul is painting a picture of the world that God has brought the church into. And it's a world that he desires that we would understand. God has awakened inside of us love for him. In Jesus, God does more than speak. He sent his Holy Spirit into and among his people to awaken love, and he's put on our very tongues this cry out to God, you are my father. I belong. I love. So, finally, how do we live into this life of love, right? Guided by the Spirit, as Paul says here. It's interesting, right, reading this particular text because I would like to imagine that my role is passive, that I'm just going to wake up one day and the Spirit has so breathed life into this body of Tuck that I will just wake up and automatically, right, I'm going to do loving things. And love, joy, peace, kindness, right, faithfulness, self-control, these things are just going to show up in my life in this beautiful automatic way. Well, sorry to disappoint you, it doesn't and what's interesting as you read through this particular text is paul gets that because he's constantly calling you to do what to exercise your own agency will you act on that which god has done will you become self-aware enough in a situation of temptation or challenge or difficulty that you can sort of hit pause on that moment and say i'm not a child I have learned that when I'm angry, I often regret the things I say. And you hit pause. And you call to mind this beautiful picture of the world of the Spirit that Jesus Christ has liberated you to live in. And you go there. You keep in step with the Spirit. You're guided by the Spirit. There's an activity that's involved in being a Christian. It's not passive. It's not just waiting for God to do something. It's acting on that which God has actually done in our lives by his Spirit. So Paul speaks of these things as things that we do. They're choices that we actively engage and must self-consciously engage in our lives and our relationships So as you take stock of your life this morning and I take stock of my life this morning and I look at that audit of my own life and its practices and I think, okay, the foot's here, the foot's here. It's an opportunity not to sort of of retreat and feel shame and guilt and burden. We've just confessed our sins. But it's an opportunity for us to renew and cultivate our love for God. St. Augustine said, one only loves what delights one. What delights you? You see, the war is not simply something that's out there in our world or culture or outside the doors of a gathered church in some so-called spiritual realm. It is inside of our own bodies and our own lives and our own relationships. This war between flesh and spirit. Let me just leave you with a couple of prayers that have helped me as I think about what it means to live with that tension and that war between flesh and spirit. There are two old prayers of the church, um, and the first one goes like this. It's often used at the opening of a worship service. It's this, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open and all desires known and from whom no secrets are hidden. Sit with those words for just a minute. In those lines of prayer, what am I remembering about God that he sees me all the way through? There's nothing he doesn't see about my life. There's nothing he doesn't understand about my life. There is nothing I can hide from God about my life. What I know about myself is that I live in oblivion about my life a lot of times, right? I'm not aware of the sort of internal workings of my, my own mind sometimes. I'm just reacting out of my reptilian mind, and so are you. But guess what? God gets you, and he knows things about your life that you're not even consciously aware of. He knows you through and through, and so right at the outset of that prayer, we're reminding ourselves of who God is and what he sees, and here's the thing about God, he does not avert his gaze from you. You know, we come each week to that moment of confessing our sins together, and that is a moment that could so easily be guided by shame and guilt and fear and embarrassment and so on and so forth. But it is absolutely a moment of transparency and vulnerability with God when we stand before him because he sees us and we just acknowledge what he sees. And we know that he doesn't turn his gaze from our lives. He looks on us in love over and over and over and over again. So the prayer leads me to remember that. And then the prayer urges me to pray and to ask that God would change me. God knows me, and so I ask that God would change me. The prayer continues this way. We ask God to cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of his Holy Spirit to do something, in other words, about this war within me. I appeal to his power. I appeal to his spirit to engage the conflict within my own life. And then I ask that I might perfectly love him and worthily magnify his holy name through Christ our Lord. In other words, Lord, I want my life this week to line up with the kingdom of God. One more prayer. leave you with and this is a prayer that's very often prayed in the context of the Lenten season of the church and it goes like this almighty God you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affection of sinners so grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise sit with those words for just a moment when I pray that prayer I'm acknowledging that very often my own loves Are messed up I don't love what God says I don't love to read his word the way I ought to read his word I don't love to hear what God might think about this that or the other I much prefer my own thoughts or the things that have become comfortable to my life rather than the things that God has to say and so right at the outset of that prayer I'm saying God I've got a problem with my love I love the wrong things So would you teach my heart to love what you command? And then the second part, to desire that which you promise. In other words, I recognize that I've lived my human life in a way that has fanned the flames of desires so that maybe some desires are inordinately moving in one direction rather than another. There's not balance, there's not a wholeness to the way I desire things about being human. And so I appeal to God to awaken in my heart and in my life a desire for the things that he promises his kingdom the world that he's bringing so we ask god to intervene in our life in the space of conflict by his grace to order our loves and our desires so that we would grow up into the likeness of jesus and we would do that audit tomorrow and the day after and the day after and we would find that our foot is indeed inside of this world of the kingdom of heaven that these virtues that there are spaces in which I can say yeah I, I, I did love how amazing is that I did act on love I did act in joy I was patient in that moment I, you know, and, and so on and so forth how are you inhabiting this struggle between flesh and spirit. Our hope is that God is near our lives to deliver us so that we embody in our world a very different way of being human. In Jesus, the word became flesh. And I think very much so in the church, God still intends that the word would be made flesh our flesh and the way we love and the way we act the way we relate to God and the way we relate to neighbor and the way we relate to our stuff let's pray together our father we ask that you would be with us as we think about our lives as we live in this war between spirit and flesh and would you remind us of the great love of our savior in such a way that love would be awakened within us and we would find ourselves loving those things that you command and desiring those things that you promise heart fixed in heaven on the kingdom that you are bringing because of the faithfulness of jesus so lead us to embody a different way of being human we pray in jesus name amen The offering is a time for us to think on the things that God is teaching us and doing in our lives as we offer our hearts and our gifts to him. Let's do that now.